Kia ora. This program is brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Shalom, good morning. Kiora Tato, Kiorana, Tolafulava, Talo, sorry, Talofa Lava, Nisambula, Malulele, Namaste, and Salam Aleikum, and welcome to this morning's Aspects of Israel program, brought to you today by David Swartz on behalf of the Zionist Federation of New Zealand. And as well as a few other small, well, smaller items, obviously the main topic for this morning's show will be what is happening in Ukraine how it affects Israel, how it affects Jewish people living in Ukraine, and what might be the outcome. So to start with, the horrific invasion of Ukraine by Russian armies, uh, armies, I should say, continues. There doesn't seem to be any possible ceasefire at the moment. It's even at the stage where previously agreed corridors for refugees to escape uh, then closed again, um, both sides blaming each other for having broken some agreed rules as to how people would actually escape. It means that at least one city, Mariupol, is totally in disaster. That people have no incoming food, medicine, anything, anything. They're, they're just uh, sheltering in basements and shelters where they can get them, and being bombarded, and uh, no, no way of getting out. The, the, the Russians have said no. There was one other corridor which was made available between two Ukrainian cities, not actually out of the country. But meanwhile, many, many Ukrainians are fleeing the country. Any figures bandied around are, are only estimates. Uh, the last that I saw was... I think was United Nations or International Red Cross figure was between one and a half million and two million people who have been able to cross the border and get into Poland or Moldova. Um, the Moldova is a is a tiny country. It, its own population is about five hundred thousand, and. It has 
very few resources itself. It's it's a poor country, but it has opened the borders to Ukrainians who are trying to escape the awful situation in Ukraine. The Israelis, the Israeli Prime Minister, has made two visits to meet Mr. Putin. It's not clear what they brought in terms of resolving the situation in any way. Uh, There's been no formal announcements. The fact that he visited and met twice seems to indicate that there might have been some movement or some passing of messages to and fro. But at the moment, we don't know what that is. Israel is in a difficult situation. It has good relations with both Ukraine and Russia and doesn't want to make its own situation any worse by siding with one or the other. Although in the United Nations, in the General Assembly vote, which censured Russia, Israel was one of the 140 or so nations which agreed to that. But unfortunately, the General Assembly has no power to do anything. And, of course, Russia being a permanent member of the Security Council meant that there is no possibility of a Security Council vote to censure Russia for its activities. And unfortunately, in the Security Council, um, China also did not vote against Russia. China would have been able to veto such a vote because of its position as a permanent member also. And on the wider scale of deciding whether or not Russia has done the the, the right thing, uh, India seems to have not made any decisive statement one way or the other. It did not uh, oppose the the vote in the General Assembly. I think it, it abstained. So as far as the opposition to Russia is concerned, the United Nations is proving to be very, very toothless. NATO, which has members of so there are NATO members in Eastern Europe, Poland, the Baltic states, and that, of course, has been one of the excuses that Mr. Putin used to say that NATO was threatening Russia. Ukraine said that uh, this is nonsense. The NATO has refused an application from Ukraine to become a member because it realises that that would be very inflammatory. Meanwhile, NATO countries are doing their best to give support to Ukraine in terms of military assistance and and, um, military material, weaponry and so on. And the, the latest that I read was that Russia had hinted 
that it might take some sort of action to prevent that support for Ukraine reaching the Ukraine itself, which would be a very um, aggressive action to take directly against members of NATO. The actual damage and death and destruction in Ukraine is horrendous, as we see from various images that are able to be sent out. And it seems to be unrelenting and spreading, whereas Russia had concentrated on the cities nearest to Russia and and the eastern part of the Ukraine, which effectively they control. Now there are reports of artillery and missile attacks on cities much further to the west of the country, which are attacking and, and seemingly aimed at civilian infrastructure as well as military. And the Russian army, although it was stalled with its first thrusts, uh, is now apparently regrouping and concentrating on encircling the capital city, Kiev, and presumably hoping to take it over. The, the bombardment of different parts of Kiev continues. There's huge damage to civilian buildings and and things like uh, hospitals and schools. And the plan may, may be that uh, they want to just grind down the resistance from the Ukrainian army and the Ukrainian population who are volunteering to fight. The president of Ukraine has said, we will fight to the death to prevent the occupation of the capital. And he has made very many passionate appeals to the European Union, to other countries in Europe and to the United States and to Israel asking for support and help and speaking very passionately, very eloquently, seems to have struck an immensely responsive chord in the Ukrainian people who are volunteering and joining up with the army and apparently causing a considerable amount of military damage to the invading Russians. What will come, nobody knows. There are many commentaries on what is happening and what may happen. But the resolve of Mr. Putin at the moment seems to be as strong, if not stronger, than ever. It may be stronger because of the setbacks that his military have met with from the, the determined resistance of the Ukrainian people as a whole. The situation of Israel is quite different to the other countries, Poland, Moldova, 
and uh, those who are accepting refugees because the many of the refugees now reaching Israel are Jewish. There are Israelis who are being evacuated. I think uh, I saw a figure that there were there had been three thousand Israeli citizens living in Ukraine, and and two thousand of them have been evacuated, have reached Israel. But of course, there are Jews living in Ukraine who wish to go to Israel. They, They not only wish to leave Ukraine, but they wish to go to Israel permanently and become. Israeli citizens, and nobody is again nobody is quite sure of the the number in that category, because there are many Jews in Ukraine who qualify under the law of return. That is to say, one of their grandparents is Jewish, but who have never had any particular affinity with Israel or desire to go there, but now as refugees. From the Ukraine as a whole, it is possible that they will actually make Aliyah. And so the numbers of people that are potentially likely to want to go to Israel is is very large. I've seen a figure of 50,000, for instance, which is a very large number if you think of the size of Israel, the size of Canterbury, but it is in Israel's declaration of independence that it will serve as a a welcoming home to whoever Jewish in any other part of the world wishes to go there. And so that is very much fundamental to the attitude of the Israeli people and, and the Israeli government. Just to give you some particular examples of the movement of people from Ukraine to Israel, there was a a big article in the Dominion Post yesterday about the Tikva group, which is uh, a charitable organization within Ukraine, largely run by the Chabad group of Jewish people. And they have organized uh, rescue flights to bring children and other refugees, some of whom are Jewish, to Israel. The The article concentrated on particularly the group of 100 Jewish children, uh, 80 or so, who came from an orphanage and who were helped by the Tikva group to travel across the Carpathian Mountains from, from the Ukrainian city of Zhitomir into Romania. And there they were met and supported and they have now arrived safely in Israel and will be looked after there. There's uh, talk of a a special kibbutz or 
township or something to be populated only by Ukrainian refugees. That's very possible that that was, has been done with other refugee groups over the years who have made it to Israel, made Aliyah to Israel. And the ongoing support in Israel is tremendous and not only by Israeli Jews and not only from Jews outside Israel but also from many staunch Christian support groups such as one which is active in New Zealand, the ICEJ, which has put resources and funding at the at the disposition of other groups which are active in Ukraine and in Israel to bring people to Israel. The, uh, what's the time? Oh, yes. 17 past 11. I'll, I'll have a music break now. And this is from the Israeli singer Ofra Haza. And the song is Kaddish. Oh, Kaddish, the Rabbanah. 
was Kaddish, sung by Ofra Haza. Kaddish is the prayer which is uh, performed or chanted or offered uh, for people who have died. And in this case, I'm, I'm playing it because of the huge number of civilian deaths in Ukraine caused by the invasion from Russia. And, and we keep we're thinking about the suffering which is going on there. If if you are wishing to contribute particularly to the Jewish refugees, uh, the New Zealand Jewish Council has opened an appeal which you can contribute to if you go to the website, which is www.nzjc.org.nz. But there are many other appeals being made through international organizations like the Red Cross. That one is specifically for Jewish refugees from the New Zealand Jewish Council. It's 22 minutes past 11. You're listening to Aspects of Israel here on Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM, the community access radio station for the Wellington region, Wellington City, Lower Hutt, Upper Hutt cities, Porua city. And you can also hear the broadcast streamed through your computer, through the website of Wellington Access Radio, and listen to it later on, uh, download as a podcast. And Wellington Access Radio 106.1 FM has been going for 40 years, since 1981 serving the people of Wellington, the minority communities of Wellington. Well, um, just a, a small snippet in relation to the events in Ukraine. Doctors in Israel care for Ukrainians 2,000 kilometers away. This is from the Times of Israel. At Sheba Medical Center near Tel Aviv, a doctor can check the lungs of a Ukrainian refugee who is 2,000 kilometers away part of a new virtual hospital in Chisinau, the Moldavian, Moldavian capital. And th- that is uh, part of revolutionary telemedicine, which is uh, being medical, Israeli medical staff in Israel can care for people injured in Ukraine. The final item I'd like to bring you this morning is about the relationship between Israel and Turkey, which has been very much up and down over the last few years. But now, with a state visit by the president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, to Turkey, 
things are apparently looking up. But the very experienced commentator for the Jerusalem Post, Herbert Herb Kanon, uh, has written a, a sh- short item which I'll read to you because it, I think it gives a very good balanced picture of what exactly is happening. Turkey continues to host Hamas leaders and it has been widely reported that past attacks in Israel have been planned on Turkish soil and Turkish President Erdogan has long been a Hamas embracer. Erdogan has engaged in strident anti-Israel rhetoric over the last 15 years that often crossed the line into anti-Semitism. Not that long ago, Erdogan accused the Israeli people of genocide called Zionism a crime against humanity and said, we view the Holocaust in the same way we view those besieging Gaza and carrying out massacres in it. Make no mistake, Erdogan has not had a change of heart, has not become a Zionist and has not parked his Muslim Brotherhood sympathies at the door. It's not that Erdogan wants Israel, it's that he needs Israel. Last fall, Abu Dhabi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Zayed visited Turkey and pledged $10 billion, US dollars, in investments, along with a $5 billion currency swap to bolster Turkey's floundering foreign currency. With this, the UAE bought a move by Turkish foreign policy towards the Abraham Accords, which means towards Israel. Secondly, Turkey wants Israeli natural gas for its own domestic needs and for export to Europe. Finally, Erdogan hopes that a photograph with Israeli President Herzog and improved relations with Israel will convince the United States and the West that he is sincere about wanting to return to the fold. But Israel needs to make it clear to Erdogan that it has expectations and demands of its own. It wants Erdogan to stop his strident anti-Israel posturing, stop financially backing those agitating on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, stop blocking Israeli cooperation with NATO, and stop trying to torpedo Israel's burgeoning ties with other countries in the Muslim world. First and foremost, Israel wants Turkey to kick Hamas out of the country instead of its playing host to an organization hell-bent on killing Israelis. So the visit and apparent rapprochement is not all that it seems. Time for me to say shalom and well, I hope you've enjoyed the program and will listen in in two weeks' time on the 27th of March. That program was brought to you by Wellington Access Radio. Get your voice heard. Thanks New Zealand On Air for funding accessmedia.nz.